This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Total Saints podcast. I'm Martin Stark and this is our weekly get-together with some Saints experts to discuss all things Southampton Football Club. As always, we're streaming live our podcast on Facebook and on YouTube, Twitter and on Twitch. So thank you for watching along tonight. And don't forget, you can leave your comments and we will get to those as we go. A massive thank you, as always, to start with to our TSP patrons. Remember, anybody who joins our Francis Benali or Mick Shannon tiers before the end of August will land themselves the exclusive TSP t-shirt you have to visit patreon.com forward slash total saints podcast to find out more and as mentioned last week we're doing shout outs for anyone who leaves us a five star rating and review on Apple podcasts and we had loads this week so thank you Uh, these are all Apple usernames so it might sound a little bit strange but Saxago uh, Southern Northerner Mossy5991 Dad's Dance Best Scott Vidler John Boyds, there are others, Stepgar, Frenchie LF, St. Tadich, and Beaveros. Thank you for your reviews. Also, Kirklander, who said uh, in his review, Glenn's gone through so much, so it's only right that you give them a listen. Nice sort of nod for Glenn. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> the sympathy note, it all works. Oh, okay. it's, all, it's all okay. And Sean19SFC says, nothing makes my Monday commute more enjoyable than Steve Grant's dulcet tones. Oh dear. <laughs> I dread to think what that Monday commute must be like. Uh, it is a shameless plug, but it does help us get found on the podcast apps. So anybody who leaves us a review and a rating this week, we're going to carry this on. You'll get a shout out next week. So you need to head to Apple Podcasts. You need to find the Total Saints podcast and leave us uh, a decent review on there, and we will do the rest. All right, coming up this week on the pod, reaction to our first away win since February. Decent comeback at Leicester. We're going to preview the trip to Cambridge United in the second round of the League Cup. It's Manchester United next in the Premier League at St Mary's, and we're going to chat transfer rumours as well. Let me introduce our panel for this week. Steve Grant is the owner of Saints Web. Glenda Decourt is the writer of the blog League One Minus 10. And Alfie House is back this week. He's the Southampton reporter for the Southern Daily Echo. Underpinned by our TSP patrons, this is episode 204 of the Total Saints podcast. 
your home for everything Southampton FC. From dedicated Saints insight to exclusive interviews. Live on YouTube every Sunday and available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the Total Saints Podcast. The Saints recover from going a goal down to take all three points at Leicester. 2-1 the final score. Steve, I'm going to come to you first this week. A huge victory and desperately needed. You must be pleased with that one. Yeah, great result. And I think it's one of those sort of fairly rare occurrences where the fixture has kind of fallen at a very kind moment for us. Because, I mean, you look at headlines that Leicester are generating off the pitch at the moment. It's basically like that. They seem to be recreating the Ronald Koeman training ground photo of basically all of the players just vanishing. Where you've got Wesley Fofana who wants out and, and was left out of the squad completely on Saturday. Seemingly, Yuri Tielemans doesn't seem to want to stick around too long and he was only on the bench so yeah they've they've got some they've got some issues there it's nice to see it happening to somebody else isn't it <laughs> it does make a pleasant change um but i would i would kind of temper that with i'd actually quite like there to be interest in our players because it shows that you do shows that you're doing something something well so it's one of those where when you're a certain size club if you are getting picked at by the uh by the bigger clubs then they obviously see you as a threat Let's, let's be honest, we would we would all give our right arms for the uh, trophy haul that Leicester have pulled in the last six or seven years. So, um, I mean, that was an excellent turnaround. Played well enough for the most part. I mean, I think the first hour or so was kind of a non-event, really. There, there wasn't, wasn't an awful lot going on in, in either box until um, till James Manson opened the scoring. But after that, we, we showed the urgency that we needed to and created the chances that, that we needed to. Two great finishes from from Shea Adams, almost got a hat-trick in injury time as well. And I mean, surely that performance off the bench, given that he was only only half fit, and I think we, we all kind of accepted that he was probably only going to be able to play 25, 30 minutes, given his lack of training this week. Um, I think that puts to bed any talk of, of Shea Adams leaving, surely. Because, yeah, I mean, he's he's the guy that's that's found the back of the net and and got us got us up and running, really. Mm, yeah, you'd like to think so. Glenn, what did you make about this new resolve and desire that the, the, the squad was showing yesterday? Um, well, it's another slap in the face for the Daily Mail, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Two games running where we've been behind and um, the team that's not playing for the manager has, um, has come back and um, you know got four points. It's the best thing they could have done for us. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm sure we'll see a retraction in the paper at, at some point um, in, in the near future. Not. No, it's great. Where's it come from? I mean... It is interesting that bench has had such an impact over the last two games. I'm loving the um you know, the camera's always panning to the to Ralph talking to the guys on the bench, you know, the Richard mm. Richard Kitzbickler's more involved now. Which is interesting in itself because he was sat in the naughty step with Kelvin Davis and all that lot last year. He's obviously been encouraged to to step forward and Ruben Sellers is stepping forward as well. Yeah, so at the moment when they're making the substitutions, it, you know, even the the relatively <laughs> mad-looking stuff like Lianco going in midfield seems, you know, it's all it's all sort of paying off at the moment. So, uh, yeah, bring it on. And whilst we were all a bit sceptical about the the five subs thing, it does seem to have given Ralph something to think about. I think we're getting to the stage now where it's going to end up a bit like rugby union, where it, it's going to be starters and finishers almost, and we're we're almost moving away from this football concept that we've had for hundreds of years where well not hundreds of years because we didn't have subs then but you know where we had a start in mm. 11 and we had subs who weren't good enough to be in the start in 11 I think we're kind of moving away from that Joe Rebo last week being the 
case in point where he was left on the bench to do a specific job later in the game. So, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're going to go down that route. But if you've got a squad where, you know, the players on the bench are as good, if not in some cases better than, than what's on the pitch, you can, you can affect games later on. But it's, it's just really interesting that we've, you know, we finished the last two games strongly. And as anyone who's followed Ralph's tenure will know, that's never been the case. We've 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 been the team that's got to seventy minutes and died. There's plenty of graphics that Sky have got to prove that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, so, I mean, we we must be top of the points one from losing positions um, table this season with four. Makes, makes a change, doesn't it? Um, Alfie Rouse had his his critics, myself included, after the last couple of games. But it felt yesterday that he certainly got most of the calls, if not all of them, right. Yeah, I'll sort of echo some of the same thoughts that, that Glenn had, really. Um, of course, it was a difficult week last week. You know, he, he couldn't resist having a dig at it in his press conferences because he was hurt by it. And, you know, it did affect him. He is a manager that claims to have a, a good group around him. And I thought his team have responded. He's responded. We mentioned the, the, the finishers, the subs. I mean, it's, it's simple to point out that Shea Adams, you know, made the difference yesterday. And it was the same at Leeds. It was the three substitutes that came on affected the game. But what I was really impressed with Ralph yesterday was his agility in the match. Um, in the first half, he made a couple of positional changes. So Joe Rebo and Moyo Yunusi swapped positions when Leicester were dominating the first 20 minutes. And Joe just sort of steadied that ship in the midfield. And Seku and Adam Armstrong did the same thing, the left and the striker position. And I think that's something that we probably haven't seen from Ralph enough is him willing to change his plan after 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And people will say that Ruben Sellers is up there in the technical area. Maybe he's in his ear and he's saying that this isn't working. But whatever it is, it's working. And that's what you want from your manager and his coaches. So... I have to give full credit to Ralph. You know, he came out in his press conferences after, and he was, you know, he was really delighted. But he wouldn't accept credit. You know, he's always going to pass it on to the players, as managers should do. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really impressive management performance. Let's talk about Che Adams because I think we need to start with the positives. You know, we're looking at the moment in the transfer window for a proven goal scorer, someone with a bit of experience that can bang in some goals. You're right, Steve. He's not going to be going anywhere in this window, is he? That was a, a really good half an hour from him yesterday. Yeah, he shouldn't be. I think part of the issue with with Shea is that we've seen that sort of impact before. And I think the key to to him being a more consistent and more rounded footballer at this level is being able to replicate that on a on a more regular basis. We're all fairly accepting that he's the sort of player who should be getting into double figures, but at the moment, possibly any further than that is is going to need a little bit of work. And let's be honest, he needs to be in a team that creates more chances for him. Because um, it's not as if, like the last, like last season, we were we were creating loads for him and he was just missing them all. He was scoring a pretty good proportion of his chances, and yet he ends the season with I think seven Premier League goals. Which, I mean, if you've got four or five players who are getting six or seven goals apiece, absolutely fine, not a problem. You can you can get away with having a kind of non-scoring centre forward if you like. But when you're in a team that relies so heavily on James Ward-Prowse scoring direct free kicks and sort of other long distance goals on a on a regular basis then I think you need you need other attacking players to step up and obviously he's done that yesterday hopefully that's a sign that he can possibly then kick on for the next couple of months and see, kind of see see where we are in sort of October November time before we break for the World Cup Sounds weird saying that. It does. It doesn't sit right, does it? We were having that chat in the pub at lunchtime. Um, Glenn, I know you were impressed as well. He was unlucky not to get a hat trick, which would have been awesome. He was. It's not just. It's not just the goals. It's great that he gets the goals. It was the second he came onto the pitch. I think the first action was either one of the centre halves or Bazunu kicking the ball long, and Che just held off Johnny Johnny Evans. I think it was, bought the ball down, set the play going. What I've noticed 
with him this season already. I know it's only been two two times he's been on the pitch. He's not the tallest, but he's a big unit in the. You know, uh, sorry, this inappropriate thing to say. His legs are enormous. His backside is enormous, and he just has, has the, is this big unit that, and he seems to be playing t- to his size this season. And I've not always seen that for a moment. Sometimes last year he he would just get brushed off the ball, whereas there was a real intent when he came on the pitch that he was going to bully the defenders. If we go back to the Spurs game, one of the problems I had with our defending is that we weren't imposing ourselves on the attackers and we were just letting them do what they liked. And that's something I'd like to talk about later on, about our, the way our defence really got in the faces of of, of Leicester, um, Leicester's attacking players yesterday. But, but Che came on with an intent, I'm going to make it uncomfortable for you you're going to have to foul me or you're going to have a really hard time. You're not going to have a free ride. And he did so much in that half an hour on the pitch yesterday, other than just scoring the two goals and hitting the post at the end. It was a really proper centre forward, almost old style centre forward performance out there. And um, yeah, I mean, the goals, the goals are the reward. And, I like the fact that he did the um, the uh, Ayozi Perez celebration at the end, um, <laughs> taking that on from Jack Stevens from a couple of years ago. So um, you can tell I've just been on Leicester fan TV, where all they wanted to talk about was an I knew again. It's just like, <laughs> stop it, lads. We've Boring moved on. now. We've moved Boring on. now. We've, we've beaten you twice at your ground since then. So uh, plenty of comments coming in about Che. Actually, one that he was skipping about like a gazelle yesterday. Um, Alfie, we know that he is a, a confidence player, and Ralph said once famously that he's like that bottle of ketchup and once it starts it, it doesn't stop so can we expect a few more goals he's certainly going to be key I think going forward well I mean, I'd love to say yes but I mean it's impossible to say yes because of course we've seen it before with Jay but actually again I agree with Glenn not to just to echo his thoughts all afternoon but if he's going to get on the pitch and put himself about I thought he did the same thing that Glenn mentioned against Leicester against Leeds where he's got his back to goal he takes the ball down and he plays it off and then Adam Armstrong went on the left hand side put it in and Aribo scores game on if Jay's going to do that every single game he doesn't need to score you know, he gets seven or eight goals again, but he's doing that all the time. Then Saints are going to have chances. They're going to create chances. They're going to score goals. And yeah, I think uh, I spoke to Carl Walker-Peters after the game yesterday. And one of the things he said was, you know, look at the size of Che. You know, Glenn's absolutely right. He is, he's massive and he can put himself about. And, you know, let's hope he does. He's a confidence player. But, you know, I absolutely believe that maybe two or three weeks ago, the club probably would have taken the right offer for him. I think Martin Simmons said that as much himself. He said that, you know, every player's got a prize, but... I think now, after two weeks later, I don't see how you can think that. I think you, you have to build your team around him. You know, Let's hope he's fit again on next Saturday. That was almost a perfect response from him, really, wasn't it? I think to those those kind of rumours. Then you got pictures of Ralph hugging him after the game and patting him on the back. He was the first one he went out to. So uh, it's great to see. I must say, Steve, as well, a long throw from Salazu that worked for a goal. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> it's, it's, our, it's, our, it's our one for the season, obviously, after, <laughs> after, War, after Warprouse scored against Spurs last year. Of course. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, that, that one actually looked as if it was entirely planned. The way the ball dropped at Bella Kopchap's feet and he instinctively knew, right, I'm laying this off inside only about two or three yards, but it was perfectly weighted into into Che Adams' stride. Well, Adams had, Adams had peeled off, hadn't he? Because originally yeah. the long throw was aimed at him and he peeled off, left it to Bella Kopchap and then, and then smashed the ball in the net. So as far as I'm concerned, that's another one to chalk up to the you know, to the new coaches because that's, you know, Adam's movement was... It's designed, yeah, isn't it? Clearly, clearly designed. Yeah. And, 
I mean, also helps that you're playing against Leicester, whose record against of defending set pieces is obviously um, famously abysmal. Um, I mean, it's just I I I just don't understand how a team that has been so good can just fall apart so willingly. I mean, next up, Manchester I mean, I, I United. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> There's a theme. There's a theme. Um, I want to talk about the defensive unit as well, but I think first, before we do that, we should probably just talk about the, the formation because we were all, I think, sat here last week saying he's definitely not going to abandon the back five. We're going to be playing with three centre-backs. So was that a surprise to everybody, Alfie, when you got that team sheet through? Did you did you think he was going to go with the, the four at the back and put that confidence in, in Gineppo? Yeah, I was told about the team the day before and then I, I spoke to Adam Blackmore in the press room on, in the morning and I was saying to him, you know, I've been given this, it's, a, it's allegedly a 4-3-3, you know, and we were both saying, well, we don't really believe it, you know, we, we, we don't really expect Mr. Champa to be playing left back, but that being said, Ralph said that, you know, he, he was going to see if he was going to trust him. I mean, Ralph's answer to every question is, we will see. You know, he, he says that so often, so you never really know if they're actually going to see or not, but, you know, look, look, Musa played really well um, and I think we're definitely going to see that again on Saturday. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he will be left back you know, remain, even if he's fit, we'll probably have to earn his way back in now. You know what Ralph's like with trusting players and loyalty. I wasn't surprised necessarily that it was a four, but I was surprised it was something new again. I mean, how many times has Ralph tried something new now in the last was, sort of six or five years? And was it four, three, three, four, five, one? It just, it seemed sort of fluid at times. Yeah, it did. It, yeah, it did change. Yeah. And, you know, pe- people who understand the game far better than I do will say that it was a, it was a five in possession and a four out of it. But the, there were three attackers at the top end of the pitch. And to me, that's, that's a four, three, three. The only thing I will say is that he, there was, I think he was talking about a reset um, and that might have been in some of the, the press conferences that, that you were at, Alfie. It just surprised me that after two games, we were talking about having to have a reset already. Was it, I, I was surprised that they hadn't tried these formations during pre-season more. He just seemed adamant that he was going to play with that back five. I think he just felt that he had to. I think, you know, he felt he didn't have the options to play with the four. Um, whether he didn't trust his fullbacks, so you know whether Mustafi didn't trust, or whether it was a case of I don't really want to put Mohamed Salasu and Amel Bolokachap in a in a two man defence, and uh, we we've seen Jan Bednarek and Salasu in a two man defence, and that doesn't work. So maybe he felt he had to. He tried it, it didn't work, and then I guess at Leeds, you know, I, I think he'd have, he'd have felt a bit of a wrath. Not that he cares what people think, but he, there'd have been a lot of questions if they lined up with a five again after what happened against Leeds last week. Oh yeah, I had my tweet ready to go. I was uh, I was all up for that at five to two, so I was quite surprised. Glenn, let's talk about Musa Gineppo because we've all given him his fair share of stick, haven't we, over the course of the last yeah. uh, twelve months? But um, a lot of people saying Centre Gully on YouTube saying Man of the Match yesterday. A lot of people saying actually he's really stepped up and uh, he's putting the yards in. Yeah, I mean, we said it last week. He's he's learning a new position on the job. And especially in a back four, it's a very disciplined position. Defensive discipline is not something you'd associate with Gineppo, having watched him for three not years. Not if you've watched him like we have. <laughs> and you you can see his brain working sometimes. It's like, I, I've got to get back in position. I've got to get back in position. And he, he does. And he, for the first time yesterday, I thought he looked defensively solid. I think against Leeds, he was great going forward, but defensively, nightmare. But... He actually looked good. Maybe it was the fact that, you know, in a flat back four, he's obviously, he's not in that sort of position between defence and midfield, which a wing back tends to be. And and we play the wing backs high as well. So it is a little bit difficult probably to know where you're supposed to be all the time. But when you're full back, when you're defending, he knows he's got to be next to where Salisu is and only push up when we've, you know, when we've got the ball sort of thing. So I cannot fault him the way he, the way he played. He, he's... You know, you, you, you worry that there's going to be a ricket around the corner where he does something dumb. 
but the same applies to the two lads at centre back as well because they're you know they're young and they they might do something rash as well. But yesterday it worked, and hopefully the, the you know the penny drops with Musa is that, that that's how you stay in the team. That's how you get a new contract because he's he's out of contract at the end of the season, I think. And and that's that's what he will be he will be working towards. But but again, I think he's you know it may be that Perot comes back into the team when he's fit. But Musa, for me, has has earned the chance to play further forward ahead of some of the others that we sort of play in the wide positions. I think he's definitely gone up the pecking order there. So putting these performances in at left back will, will certainly count in his favour. You know, come the day that um, Perot's fit, or maybe he'll stay there all season. Who knows? But uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> well, Luke says Musa was solid again, even in a back four. Long may that continue. Um, let's talk about the defensive partnership then, Steve. Obviously, Musa Ginepo on one side, Carl Walker Peters looked more comfortable knowing that there wasn't that space behind him. But then Salazu and Bella Kochap, great partnership yesterday. Uh, it worked eventually. I think first 15, 20 minutes, Vardy gave Bella Kochap a, a little bit of um, little bit of bother down that channel. I don't think he was quite sure what to expect. I mean, as much as I mean, Vardy's getting on in years, but he still has that burst of pace. He's a very clever um, striker what a cheat. Um, and when I, and, and when I say clever I mean he's a he's an absolute cheat and knows how but knows how to get away with it Bella Kotrap didn't fall for any of any of that any of that nonsense took a, as I say took a little bit little bit of time just to kind of size it all up perhaps a little bit fortunate that Leicester didn't have any sort of momentum built up in the first half to to kind of take advantage of that early situation but once he kind of got his head around it Vardy offered nothing and was he taken off just after the hour? Yeah, sixty-five. Having not not really contributed a huge amount, so yeah, I mean, can't can't complain with how that partnership went. I mean, the, the centre back partnership wasn't responsible for the goal. Essentially, from open play, we've kept a clean sheet in a game that we conceded four in last year. Huge improvement. And I mean, it, I don't don't even think the the free kick that was given for the goal was even a foul. To be honest, having having seen it back, I think he just wins wins the ball, hook, hooks his foot around him, and the guy goes over. It's looked a fair challenge to me, but no, I, th- I think that's that's very promising. Probably less promising for um for the future prospects of Jan Bednarek. Yeah. Well, we'll get on to transfers in a minute. I made a note of the world-class centre-back that missed out yesterday because of transfer speculation. And uh, Jack Steve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of them, wasn't there? Vanessa says Lavia was also brilliant versus Vardy. And, and Alfie, just final thing on the defence room yesterday. Were you impressed with that pairing at the back? Do you think we're going to see that again going forward? No, there'll be another game where we look at it and their performance and it isn't the one. Of course it is, but that's, you know, a club like Southampton, it's not going to be 9 out of 10 every week. But uh, just to add on to what Steve said, I think Jamie Vardy had 11 touches in 65 minutes minutes yesterday and seven of those came in the first 15 minutes so that was when he was terrorizing Armel Balakotchap and you know he could have had a couple of fouls there I thought, I thought Armel was a little bit lucky actually with some of them but after that what's that that's four touches for the next 50 minutes of football you know they completely isolated him and Iosi Perez um, who always scores against Saints had one shot in the game to me it looked like Mohamed Salah was relishing uh, not being the one that has to go out and attack the ball every single time he was he was more he, to me, he was a bit deeper. He was playing the firefighter role that, that Ralph famously described Yana as a couple of years ago. And he, in, it was Armel that was getting out. And I just feel like he was a little more comfortable knowing that he didn't have to, to sort of get there. And it wasn't Yan behind him. It was him just sweeping and clearing. That's interesting. If he's going to be more comfortable doing that, then, uh, then, then that certainly bodes well. Just a quick one on the, the free kick. Uh, Mark says, I agree with Steve. The ref was con for the, the Leicester free kick. Steve, on that goal, good free kick, bad wall. Do we put that down to the keeper and, and experience? 
Yeah, you got to, unfortunately. The wall is the keeper's responsibility. But it's, I mean, it's a learning curve. The analysts and the, and the keeper coach, they'll be they'll be working during the week on where you can line the ball up. I mean, I, I mean, basically, it seems as if if they take them maybe even half a step to the left, that wall probably probably blocks um, blocks the free kick. But a player of Madison's quality, you give him you give him that little space to um, to fire it into, and you're giving yourself a, potent, a real potential problem. And obviously, he found that little gap that he could that he could find, and it it just doesn't look good from from our perspective. But yeah, it's a learning learning curve, and we've um, we've not been punished for it. Fortunately, we've we've still got the three points. Which is pretty much what Ralph said as well yesterday. I think Alfie wasn't it that, that it, you know, these mistakes are going to happen and it, it didn't cost us the game. Yeah, no, and I mean he was relieved that it didn't cost uh, the game as well because for Gavin he can go home and there's you know there's no regret there. He can like you say work with the analysts, work with the coaches in the week, and he doesn't have to think oh well I've, I've cost my team two points in my third Premier League game. It's this is a lesson to learn. And yeah, I echo Steve Sports. It was it could have been dealt with better, but uh, it doesn't matter. And then they've got all three points. The only thing he's cost is his uh, clean sheet. Clean sheet, yeah. yeah, or anyone that's got him in a fantasy team. Yeah, it's, a, it's a very, uh, it's a very obvious example about you know inexperience of young players. Because I mean, apart from training at Manchester City, Bazuna will never, never come across a player who can hit a free kick no, like James Madison right. can. No, in, not in, in, a ma- in a match situation. So he probably thought he had the wall line. You know, he's probably lined up the free kick as he would have done in League One, where no one's going to whip the ball in you know, like that. And it's the sort of one as a goalkeeper that he wouldn't have seen it until it went round the wall. So once it went round the wall and was on target, he was dead because, you know, he's he's basically covering the other side or covering the cross. So yeah, inexperience. There you go. But great win and we're all happy. So that's good. Uh, It's a break from the league on Tuesday night because it's the second round of the cup. Cambridge United. This is Tuesday night. Two clubs have been in existence. We tweeted this earlier. A combined 247 years. It's going to be the first time they've met. And I know you were scrapping around Alfie to try and find some sort of uh, evidence that there might have been a game, but... There hasn't, is there? That's, this is going to be the first game. No, it's exciting to say before we went on there. It's the reason I like these sort of games. You know, you get up, come up against opposition that's slightly different. Different players will get the chance to play, and you'd like to think there'll be sort of two, three, four, or more goals. Steve, I've been there for a weekend, and it's lovely. I don't know much about the team. Can you shed any light on on Cambridge and what sort of game we might expect? What what their season's been like? Uh, I mean, they've 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 had a good start in League One. They're I think a couple of points outside the playoffs. Beaten some, beaten some good sides. Lost to some ropey ones. Obviously, got got thumped at Fratton Park during during the week, having taken the lead. They're certainly not the the Cambridge of old under Beck. John Beck, John Beck was God. John Beck, where, they, where it was basically hoof it into the hoof it into the corner. There's one for the kids <laughs> in, into the corner flag, um, hoping that the uh, the sodden pitch would hold the ball up and then play the percentages from there. Hoof it up to Dion Dublin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and but they're they're as I say they're they're doing all right. The facilities they've got at, at the Abbey Stadium now is um, it's probably not called the Abbey Stadium anymore. It but is actually. The, oh, is yeah, it? No right, sponsor. Yeah. That's that's surprising. Their pitch is pretty good at the moment, from what I've seen of of the highlights this season. It will suit us. It won't it won't be a problem. I don't think we're expecting any bad weather in the next couple of days either, are we? So. Um, yeah, should be should be a nice lush surface for us. The, the sad reality is there'll be people watching this tonight who had no idea that Dion Dublin was a footballer 
um, before he did Homes <laughs> Under the Hammer. It's like, what, what's the, the guy from Homes Under the Hammer played for Cambridge? <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> uh, Glenn, obviously last year we beat Newport 8-0 and it, it, it kind of like kick-started, you know, Elanusi scored that hat-trick and then he went on a bit of a run after that. Um, Brozier, I think, got a couple as well, didn't he? And that was where we started to to talk about him. So it is a chance for perhaps some of the, the fringe players to to come in and, and make a claim. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think what quite often gets forgotten is that usually the lower league side, they've got other things to worry about as well. And with the League Cup, whatever it's called this year, not being the biggest money spinner until you get to a round that most of the League One, League Two clubs don't get to, they tend to rest a load of players as well. I mean, Cambridge will, you know, main um, object of the season will be to get promoted. So whether they lose to Saints or lose to someone else in the next round, they're not really going to be bothered. So I would imagine they'll rest a few. I would imagine we'll change 11. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean, that's what we did last year. I think it was 10 changes last year. I mean, I don't think... I think, did Prousey I don't think play, Prousey did, did play. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was just trying to think, did Prousey play or not? But we're, we're going we're gonna to change nine or 10. So it's going to be the likes of, you know, McCarthy, Valerie, Lianco, Diallo. I mean, to be honest, I'd give Cab... I'd, give, I'd play Caballero because, I mean, McCarthy... Yeah. We're not, we're not going to pick McCarthy. Clearly trying to trying to move him on if we can. Yeah. So Caballero is the one that you kind of want to be sh- to be a little bit sharp just in it case. Was, it think. was also interesting from the from the Leicester game as well to see. I know no, just noticed someone's put it in the comments. Theo Walcott was on the bench and Nathan Redmond wasn't. And I, yeah, Mark did that. Yeah, it, it's interesting that Ralph probably knows or the club knows that Walcott ain't going anywhere because no one's going to come in and buy him. Whereas there is a chance that they'll find someone to buy Redmond, which is probably why he's being. Um, He's been left out. Maybe he's got a move in the pipeline already. Who knows? So so it will be interesting to see who plays in this game. But I, I imagine Theo will. Do you think that's going to be the, the sort of telltale sign, Alfie, if, if, if like Redmond and Walcott start, depending on who comes in? Will we be able to read perhaps into who's in the plans, who's going to be sticking around? And are you expecting to see the likes of McCarthy and, and Lianco come in? I do think so. Yeah, it's a good point. I'll say I would have money on McCarthy playing but like now you mention it you know if he has got uh, something else coming up then maybe they'll play Caballero you know if, if Nathan Redmond's not there involved and he's, he's not injured then you'd have to say well you know surely he'd want him fit if he's going to play him uh, so yeah I agree but I, I'm expecting to see Lianco you know Jan Valery will play again uh, Ibrahim Diallo will, will probably play 90 it just for me it'd be interesting to see whether they say Jack Stevens, Jan Bednarek you know, last week it was Jack Stevens was at Watford and that seems to have slowed down at least for now. And, you know, Jan Benrick's got these Aston Villa interest and they probably can't let both of them go without getting somebody in. So if one of them plays on Tuesday and one of them doesn't, maybe that's a telltale sign. They did beat Newcastle though last year, didn't they, Steve? In the Was that the FA Cup? Was that? The, the, you know, yes. So... Yeah, that was, um, I be- was that Eddie Howe's first game? Yes, I think it was. And yeah, Cambridge went up there and did a number on them, one one nil, which which was absolutely hilarious. Because <laughs> it was, yeah, because it was it was one of the first post takeover games, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because uh, it was January, wasn't it? It would have been January, and our game was then not long after that. Yeah, yeah. Mark makes a good point as well. Romeo is probably going to come in for a start as well, yeah, just to uh, right. to stretch the legs. Uh, so it's the cup on Tuesday, uh, then back to the league 
Manchester United visit St Mary's on Saturday. This is the lunchtime kickoff. This is 12.30. Everybody's smiling. If you're listening to this podcast, we're recording this or streaming this on Sunday night. Now, United don't play until Monday, so they may have thumped Liverpool by the time you're you're listening to this. They, <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they, they may have been turned over. We don't know. Last season, Glenn, one, it was another August fixture. It always seems to be an early fixture, doesn't it? This was the one, I think, with um, with Jack Stevens giving Bruno a bit of Fernandes, to yes. Fernandes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your early thoughts on the, the United game, Glenn? It's one of those ones where you look at the when the fixtures were published, I think we all expected United to have signed seven or eight very good players by the time this game came around. And it was one of the games that you looked at and thought, mm, that's part of a, a tough start to the season. But similar to Leicester, I guess, um, United have had a bad start. They're just exactly the same as they were last year, only, if anything, a little bit worse. I mean, I watched the part of their game against Brentford and, you know, Ralph called it out last year. He said, oh, then... What did he say? He very diplomatically said they're not so great in the reverse gears. So basically, when they, <laughs> when they haven't got the ball, they don't want to run back. When they're towards traveling their own backwards. Goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't want to run back towards their own goal, and that they seem to be <laughs> like that, but worse. So they, they've obviously signed, or it looks like they're going to sign Casemiro from Real Madrid, who will hopefully for them correct that defensive midfield weakness that they've had for about four years. There's a really interesting interview with Peter Schmeichel on BBC. It's only a little two-minute thing where he talks about Casemiro and he said, look, when he plays for Real Madrid, he gets the ball and gives the ball to the better players. And when he's at Real Madrid, the better players are Tony Cruz and Luka Modric, two of the best midfielders in the world. When he gets the ball for Man United, he's going to be giving it to Fred and McTominay and, and Bruno Fernandes, who doesn't look after the ball either. So it's going to be a different world for him. So it's probably good that it's his more than likely because he can't play tomorrow. He's more than likely going to be his first game as well. Ten Hag, the decisions he's made so far have not looked great. You know, the players he's brought in aren't in the team. He's he's brought in the um, the centre half. He's five foot nothing. So, I mean, if, if Che Adams is on the pitch against him, the way he's sort of bullying defenders at the moment, I mean, if he can bully Johnny Evans, he can certainly bully this guy. There's definitely absolutely nothing to be to be fearful of. You don't go into this game with any sort of intimidation factor. Obviously, they've got good individual players who can do something out of nothing. Ronaldo, Sancho, Martial, if he's fit. Rashford might even wake up. They're all capable, but as a team, it's just not happening for them at the moment. And um, I mean, I don't usually want Liverpool to win, but I'd, I'd like Liverpool to absolutely smash them on uh, on Monday. And then we can try and uh, keep the foot on the neck on uh, on Saturday lunchtime, isn't it? Twelve thirty kickoff. Twelve thirty so. kickoff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bring it on. As funny as it is, they're going to click at some point, aren't they? Is is it a good time to play them? Does it depend how they get on on Monday night? And after ten years, aren't they? Well, this. I mean, this is the thing. We've. I mean, United have been various shades of nowhere near title contending for for ten years now since since Fergie retired, and yet somehow we've still not managed to beat them at home. We've had a we had a, a fairly passable record at Old Trafford in that time. We lost an over the nine nil defeat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what? What didn't didn't happen? Didn't happen. It's been so frustrating games against them where we've there have been there have been a lot of games where we've genuinely comfortably been the better side, but they've pulled something out of the hat and got a, got a result out of the game. This has surely got to be the best opportunity. Even though we're not as good as we've been in previous years, 
I mean, I don't, I'm not sure there's, there's a whole amount of argument against the suggestion that United have never been worse in that period. So, yeah, it's got to be seen as a huge opportunity, but it's also one of those situations where I, I, I kind of think we can't do what we've done the last two games in sort of giving them yeah. the initiative to begin with. We don't, we don't want to be two nil down with 20 minutes to go, do we? Cause that's not going to happen. No, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be the, it's got to be the other way around. We've got to start fast. Um, because they, I mean, as as that Brentford game demonstrated, if you if you run at them, you'll scare, scare the defence to death, and they will not want to know. But if we start sluggish as we have done the last two games, even though we've got reasonably positive results out of the Leeds game and uh, and obviously a positive result yesterday, I don't think we can get away with starting sluggish against United because all you do then is you either hand the initiative or you at least give them the opportunity to. Um, get a little bit of self-confidence and, and belief in their game. That's a really good point that Steve's made there, Alfie, about the, the Brentford game and how they went about it and they took the game to them. So from from that point of view, is is that how you think we get a result out of this? And does it depend then on Tuesday night and, and who starts and who comes in for that game? Because if we end up getting into extra time on Tuesday night or that's a game that, that takes it out of the players... There is no extra time Tuesday, oh, right. sorry. So, so we've got that. But if it, it, you know, if it's a tougher game and it takes it out of the players, does that then impact on, on Saturday? You need to be at your freshest and at your best. Yeah, but I think Ralph will have that in mind. And as a result, we will see nine or ten changes, Glenn said. But it was two good results against United last season. I think it was two one-all draws. And so there's certainly no fear there. And that Jack Stevens, Bruno Fernandes picture, you know, is obviously a good image from last season. That's on Glenn's blog, that one, isn't it? I remember yeah. that one from the blog. Brilliant. You, you, you look back last year and, you know, in, in that picture, that was a player who was playing every game, you know, performing really well. But you sort of fast forward a year and you know, it seems like you wouldn't want to make any of the squad. So it's interesting to see how far Bruno Fernandes has fallen off for United. Players like Romeo Lavia and Armella uh, Belakotchap, you know, it's Manchester United. They know who Manchester United are. They, they grew up watching them. They're probably going to want to raise their game. I don't know how much it plays a role, but I'm sure they're subconsciously, you come up against someone like Man United and you want to play well. You know the cameras are probably on um, and in you know right now that, as, as we've said, they're probably at their worst they've been. So mm. why not go up there? You know, why not turn up, do what Brentford did and see if you can get a couple of goals ahead? Yeah, that's why those players have come to Southampton because they want to play in these games against Manchester United. Um, Glenn, the good news is that you correctly predicted the score um, for, yeah, for no, the rest of the game. You got 2-1. I wasn't going to mention it. Because <laughs> yeah. I, know, I, mean, I know Alfie was bouncing around like Tigger last week. <laughs> Telling yeah. Jake, telling Jake, I thought I'm just not going to sink to that level. I'm just no, gonna, you, I'm you just can't be trusting the athletic. Let you talking about it, but the good news is, is that yeah, I got the right score. I also predicted it on the Leicester podcast when they stopped talking about nine nil. Oh, that's so, even better. Um, so, even yeah, better. Happy days. So you and get I'm the three not... points. Um, Jacob also predicted the win. The rest of us were less optimistic, I'm afraid, which means Glenn, you are now top of the table with five points. So uh, the, the early lead. Um, let's do some predictions for um, the Manchester United game. Uh, Glenn, I'll give you the opportunity to go first, as you uh, you won last time round. Uh, interesting one. I, I I think we'll go for it, and I think we'll swarm all over them. And uh, it'll just be a case of how well they react to it. I, I think they, I think they will be the ones trying to stay in the game. You know, hopefully, um, Brentford showed everybody the way to go about playing against this current Manchester United team. Um, you know, Liverpool were going to play exactly the same way um, as they always do tomorrow, and uh, that will hopefully knock them down a bit more. So I'm, uh, I'm optimistically again going for a two-nil win. 2-0. Right, okay. Uh, Steve, what are you saying? I mean, having seen what Brighton and Brentford have done to them, 
um, by playing very direct and obviously, obviously, plenty of energy. Which I mean, we I mean, you look at the average age of that team that we put out yesterday. There's a there's youth in that team, so there's there's energy, and I think that's that's where United come unstuck when teams sort of swarm around them, as as Glenn said. And yeah, I, th- I mean, if if we can get both feet in the game from the start, get an early lead, and I think we can hand out that beating that I think this team has got in them like once every six, six, seven months. So yeah, sod it. Why not? <laughs> you know, I've always been nuts. <laughs> Alfie, are you going to keep this going? Are you, are you going to go with 4 0? I'm definitely not going with 4 0. I'm going to. Go on. I'm thinking one all, by the way. Um, oh, okay, I, I'm just just to sort of um, bring things back down to earth. I, I just I can't get away from the fact that we just don't ever get that that decent result at home. So I, I'm going for one all. Well, I, I was going to play the percentages as well, and I, I was actually going to say one all. So I'm, I might have to copy okay. you on that one. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Right. Got those in. If you're watching live, by the way, get your uh, get your predictions in the comments section. Um, want to chat about the ladies team as well, uh, Alfie, because it was their first game yesterday. Um, they played, it was Charlton and they lost 2-0 at St. Mary's. Uh, 2,400 people, I think, mm. there? 2,444, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, decent uh, decent attendance. Um, a lot of season tickets sold. We know that this year, back playing at St. Mary's. That was always going to be a tough game for the, the ladies, wasn't it? First game back in the championship. Yeah, and no, I'd say 2,400 plus fans there on, on a day when Southampton's first team are playing at the same time is a really good effort. You know, I still can't quite wrap my head around the scheduling, but Charlton have been full time for over a year. They've invested a lot of money into their women's programme. And, you know, we're talking even more so than Southampton, you know, many millions of pounds. It's something that they really want to look good at that club. Um, so it's a tough game, you know, it's a really tough game and maybe the occasion got the better of them. Obviously, I wasn't there, I was in Leicester. My colleague Dan went and said it was a good, it was a good atmosphere, but the, you know, there was a penalty save. Kayla Rendell, who scored a header um, from a corner last season, she saved the penalty to the, uh, on Saturday. Uh, we've got an exclusive feature of her coming up this week on the Echo. She worked at Screwfix. She was on the counter at Screwfix last season. Now she's a Oh, that's a great story. And look, it's all through the squad. They've got stories like that. You know, these Football girls, loves a story like that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> and these girls have been given a massive opportunity to become professional footballers. And, you know, maybe it will take a few weeks to sort of let that sink in. And, you know, playing in St. Mary's, 2,000 people, I'd probably, you know, struggle in my first game. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. Good to see. And I think, you know, uh, with the crowd like that, I think um, there's a good season ahead. I wanted to talk about transfers as well, Glenn. Just a few rumours that have been kicking around this week. Obviously, Bednarek to Aston Villa was one. The other one was was Ramos, um, potentially spending £25 million on a striker from Benfica. Do you read too much into that or is it everything with a pinch of salt at the moment? Because some of this seems to be from from credible sources, you know, reports that uh, that they met about Ramos and they've had the conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think The Athletic was reporting the talks had, had happened, but that could mean we asked the question, they said 25 million <laughs> and we walked away. That, you know, that could mean that. That's, to- that's talks, very short talks that don't amount to anything. So that particular rumour is not one I completely write off straight away. It, it is feasible. But on the other side of that, everyone knows that we're in the market for a striker in the same way that, Everyone knows we'd be up for letting Bednarek go or letting McCarthy go. So there will be stories. And as Martin Simmons probably quite accurately said at the fans forum, 90% of what you of, of what you read, uh, I'm not not including the echo in this, Alfie, of course, but not, 90% of what you read in, certainly on the internet on, you know. Yeah. Or, or here on radio stations that just talk about sport. Yeah. Or, or here on Talk Sport or reading the Daily Mail. 90% of them are probably absolute rubbish. So it, it is hard to, to know, you know, find the 
the wheat from the chaff sort of thing. I, I still think we'll go for a striker, you know, regardless of Che Adams' form over the last game and a half. It still wouldn't surprise me if we bought a fullback in, even with, you know, Musa doing a good job at the moment. There will certainly be some some more comings and goings. It wouldn't surprise me if Ori Romeo left. Yeah, that you was know, the other one from, because, from this week, wasn't it? You know, go back, go back and play in Spain or something like that. So personally, after yesterday, I hope Brendan Rodgers comes in for both McCarthy and Bednarek and then gets sacked. <laughs> you drive um, him up there, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, actually, I'd, I was I do this now. Do you remember this? I have absolutely no sympathy for Southampton. They have a choice (laughs) as a club. They don't have to sell. They had that choice. Maybe Southampton's objectives have changed. They were on course to be a Champions League club, I believe, but obviously that has changed. It's the nature of it. The players will want to compete at the highest level they possibly can. So that's um, that's that was Brendan Rodgers after. So it it amuses me greatly that a couple. Did you dig that out for the Leicester fans TV podcast? No, I didn't. But it amuses me that a couple of their players are going full Lalana and throwing the toys out. But yeah, but sorry, bit of a bit of an aside there. Um, No, it's always good to remind ourselves of that. Yeah, Um, no, there there, there will be there will be incomings and outgoings in the next couple of weeks. Just a final one on the transfers, Alfie. What's it like being a football journalist at this time of the year? Is the phone just the WhatsApp just? constantly going with, with rumours and things to check out. Mm, yeah, I can't wait for September the 2nd, to be totally honest <laughs> with you. As much as uh, I love it as a fan, you, you get so much information and it's, it's so difficult sometimes to get it to stood up. And, you know, Jacob, obviously at The Athletic, you know, he has a lot of guys to work with and he does a great job. Well, what I will say is The Athletic, most of the stuff they say is true. You know, like with Ramos and stuff, I'm more certain those talks did happen. You know, it's busy and I think in January it was so quiet, it was eerily quiet. I think by sort of 6pm on deadline day, I shut my laptop and it was, you know, nothing was happening. I think it's not going to be the case this season. Like Glenn says, you'd imagine there'll be one or two, maybe three that go out and you'd like to think there'll be one or two that come in. That'll be a striker and a fullback. The good news though, Steve, is it does feel that if the right player is there, we we don't have to sell before we have to buy. I mean, in, in my head, I'm thinking, well, surely we've got to sell a couple of people before we can buy somebody else. But that's only me making that up. No one has said that. There's no evidence to back that up at the moment, the way this transfer window's gone. Yeah, it does look as if we're in an unusually strong financial position from a sort of immediate available cash perspective. You don't tend to don't tend to pay the transfer fee up front immediately at the point of transfer, but certainly committing committing to that sort of money without the knowledge that we're bringing any revenue in from someone else going the other way is is pretty unusual. I mean, it's probably not probably not happened since I guess our summer after the championship promotion when we obviously had to spend a fair amount to bring a bit of depth and quality into the into the squad, which obviously involved paying lots of money for Gaston Ramirez. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that summer we obviously didn't... The only players that went were the ones that ultimately weren't good enough. The players we were bringing in were a step up and giving us giving us the opportunity to stay in that division. Whereas now, I think we're... Yeah, we're, we look sort of immediately just look just look as if okay we can um we're okay to get this done um and the owners will back us and and kind of cover cover any shortfall that that there may be because i'm sure that sort of in terms of the overall financial picture i'm sure that we're not making like i mean what what we spent best part of committed to best part of 50 million in this this transfer window i mean if we're talking about a 25 million pound center forward then that's 75 million committed outgoings without anybody leaving for any money so that's that's significant and we don't we don't make 75 million pound profit yeah if sport republic are, are willing to guarantee the checks on that then great yeah. um happy days yeah 
part of the calculate part of the calculation will be the likes of Fraser Forster and Shane Long leaving um, and the wages, on, the wage on higher wages. And also yeah. off the top of my head, we've got Redmond, Valerie, Walcott, who if they don't leave now, will all be probably next leaving summer. next summer. Yeah. So there's there's light at the end of the tunnel financially with regarding those wages as well. Um I think they would they would kill to get McCarthy off the books for that reason because they've committed to three years for him and probably Jack Stevens. So they'd, they'd, that'd probably be the two that they'd most like to get out the door for financial reasons. But um, yeah, it does sound like there's no, there's no tearing hurry to, um, to get anybody out, but. Could be a busy couple of weeks. Uh, that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, thank you for watching along. Thank you for listening. Don't forget that you can follow the Total Saints podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Just have a search for at Total Saints pod on the website, uh, totalsaints.co.uk. There's a link on there to our online shop as well. So you can check out the icon store anytime you like, and you can get in touch with us there as well. If you've got any emails and any questions for the guys, uh, we're also on Patreon where should you wish you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution. You have to head to Patreon com forward slash total saints podcast there are four different tiers uh, ranging from five pounds to 20 pounds a month each come with different perks they're all explained online um the francis finale tier and the newly named mick shannon tier uh, are the top ones you get a shout on the podcast so thanks to dave melton uh, mark atkins matt hall who are in the francis finale tier colt baker dave ernsberger ed busy nick higston and phil cook along with matt rose are in our mick shannon tier and a big shout this week to nick reed who's upgraded to the Mick Shannon tier. So thanks for your support, Nick. Uh, Cheers to Steve, to Glenn and to Elfie. Thanks, chaps. Uh, Have a great week. We'll catch up soon. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and and climate neutral certified so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin glow from the inside out get 10% off your first order with code glow at oseamalibu.com that's o s e a malibu.com code glow this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans